I want to start by just saying that there are these older gentlemen that I end up sitting by at Panera all the time. I, uh, I spend a lot of time at Panera, and here's a pro tip. They, they did not sponsor me to say this to you, but if you pay $11.99 a month, you get free coffee all the time at Panera. Uh, you can buy a new, and sodas and lemonades and iced teas too. Perfect advertisement. Panera, sponsor me. Um, but you get free coffee. You can get it every two hours. And so I spend a lot of time sitting and working on a sermon, actually, at Panera. And there's always these older gentlemen that sit. Uh, I sit with my back to the fireplace in the kind of middle section, and they sit at the table right in front of me. I feel like we know each other, but we've never really spoken. Uh, but, but the other day, uh, one of the guys leaving said, see you guys. And uh, I named him Panera guy number one on my sermon. Panera guy number one said, see you guys. And Panera guy number two said, I hope so. And, and it's funny, it was joking, but it does point to the certainty of death and the fact that life is uncertain. These guys are not spring chickens, as my grandmother would say. And, and so they feel that, you know, more than somebody my age. I turned 40 this year. This is my last Easter in the 30s, and uh, I'm feeling all of that, actually. I, um, I have a hernia, so uh, many of you know. Uh, if I'm standing a little awkward, it's because of that. I just jumped right into middle age, you know. Um, in fact, I'm wearing a hernia belt, uh, not the most awesome thing I've ever done. I ended up at the ER uh, you can, I wore this for effect, uh, all week. Um, but, but I ended up at the ER, uh, when I went to see my doctor, who's almost exactly my age, he's like, Hey, time to start doing some different blood work. I'm like, thanks pal. I'm not 40 yet. And he said, I know, but it's coming. Uh, and then I have a, a medical appointment that I'm just not looking forward to, uh, coming up and not very long. That's not the hernia one, because I'm also not looking forward to that. Uh, I feel, just to be totally honest with you, especially the last couple weeks, I feel middle age, you know, more than I had felt it in the previous year or whatever. And I've been joking that I know I'm middle age because young people think I'm old and old people think I'm young, and that puts me in the middle, right? Um, and yet, I had not really felt that way until until just a couple of weeks ago, and I'm feeling all of it now. There's this quote that I see uh, quite frequently go around. I don't know who said it first, but I'm going to give you the Rocky Balboa version, and it, it, he says this to Creed, time takes everybody out, time's undefeated. My son the other day, out of nowhere, my son, you'll hear about him twice in this sermon because he gave me two things to say in my, in my sermon. Um, he didn't know he was doing that, but he did. We're just like standing there and he's like dad I don't want to die I don't want you to die either and frankly I'm not ready to go myself um, maybe last Tuesday I was ready but uh, uh but but uh, I'm not and and here's the reality and I hate to start this way on Easter but it's important that I do so death is the worst and we all know that we spent two years watching death tolls on our news feeds, right? No matter where you went to get your news, there it was, little ticker, just going up. You were just watching it as people died. And, and so it was just, it just like suffocated us almost, talk of death, because we fear death. You just read the news, I mean, there's death, right? I mean, 
six killed in a school shooting a couple of weeks ago, and it hardly even makes the news because we're so used to it at this point, right? It's just a part of our American culture. Uh, we don't talk about this especially because we're Americans, but last I saw 45,968 dead in the Syrian earthquake. Uh, did you even know that anybody had died? But it's all around us. And I would just ask, uh, who remembers Who remembers the first person that they loved and loved a lot that died? Here's mine. I got a couple of pictures of her. This is my great-grandma. Her name was Alma. I called her Gigi. I've actually never seen this picture until today. My grandma brought it for me, and I had never seen this one before. This is how I think of her. This was her funeral picture, uh, and just the way that I knew her as, you know, a, a kid growing up with her. Um, and, and she's actually fairly old here, but it's the year before I was born, 1982. So I never knew her looking like this right here. Uh, I remember vividly the day that she died. I mean, that's one of the worst days of my life. And you all have those moments, right? We all have those moments where the first time, maybe you haven't gotten there yet, but you will and you fear it. I remember fearing her death. I remember having nightmares about her dying before she died for like 20 years, 20 years before she died because when she was 70, she seemed like she was a million to me as a little kid, you know? I mean, so I just thought she was on death's door. All of you over 70 are offended, uh, but, uh, but that's how I felt. And I feared it, and then it happened, and it was tragic and hard and sad and all of those things. Today, we're not here to talk about death. We're here to talk about life. But the reality is that death and thinking about it and considering it and at least acknowledging how terrible it is is the thing that makes the greatness of life stand out. We cannot celebrate what we've gathered to celebrate today, life, Jesus' new life, the new life that he offers, if we don't remember, if we don't remember how terrible death is. Uh, here at Creekside, um, we've been working our way through the book of Revelation. And uh, if you know the book of Revelation all and you're visiting with us, you're like, I did not see that coming, that he was going to talk about the book of Revelation. Isn't that the weird one? You know, like that's how we think of it. And and I think that it's important as we look at a passage of scripture in, in Revelation today, it's important to start with death. Because if we continue as we do as American modern people to just pretend that it's not going to happen or that it doesn't exist and to use euphemisms like they passed away, then we're never going to care enough about the life that Jesus offers us. Now, here's the thing about the book of Revelation. It is, it is strange and sometimes dark and super complex, and it's an apocalypse, and apocalyptic literature, it's the only piece of apocalyptic literature in the Bible, it's full of symbols and signs, and it's, it makes it difficult to understand, and I know you don't really care about that, especially on Easter, but I tell you all that because interpreting it can be a challenge, but here's the wonderful thing about this book that's called Revelation. The point is really, really clear. The point of the book is really, really clear. And the point of individual sections within the book are also pretty clear. And what happens for Christians who study this book, who talk about this book, is, is that people get, 
you know, they get into the details and the weeds and they, they try to decipher all of the symbols and the signs and, and they start arguing about them. And, and in doing that, they miss these beautiful, beautiful, important points. And here's the main point, the whole book. I'm just going to sum it up for you. Being a Christian is worth it. Everything in the book of Revelation funnels into that, that single idea that being a Christian is worth it. The author of the book, John, he writes, is inspired by the Holy Spirit to a group of Christians who are facing or about to face intense persecution, some of the worst persecution that the world will ever know, has ever known. Christians are going to be killed for their faith, simply for being a Christian. So God gives John this vision, tells him to write this book, and he does it in order that we who will come along after and be Christians too will know that no matter what we face, no matter how hard it is, no matter how many people hurt us, or no matter how much death is around us, it is still worth it to be a Christian and to serve Jesus. And in this passage I want to look at today, there's this single phrase that's so important. You could get caught up in the, just all of it and talking about the details and all of that stuff. But there's this single phrase that is so important. And it's the phrase for the day. It's the, it includes the word of the day, a word that you knew we'd talk about when you came here. But I think this phrase is just so important. Here it is. Ready? It's simple. First resurrection. First resurrection. I think that this phrase should compel you to at least consider becoming a Christian. And if you are already a Christian, I think this single phrase should compel you to keep living for Jesus even when it's hard and to be encouraged when death is staring you in the face, whether your own or somebody that you love. Let me just start by telling you about Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Revelation 20, 1 through 3, I'm not going to read it to you, but, but, but it talks about Jesus locking up Satan. I know, like I told you, it gets a little crazy, right? Like, but it's about Jesus locking up Satan. Uh, the book of Revelation has a hero, it's Jesus, and it has an antagonist, it's Satan. And Satan works to pull people away from Jesus. And, and he pulls people towards his own worship. And, and so here we see this incredible thing in, in verses one through three. I think it's so important. And it's simply that, that Jesus locks him up. Jesus is the winner. Satan is working in, in the book of Revelation, tells us through political and even religious leaders to pull people away from Christianity. I think we feel some of that in our world. I think our political leaders and sometimes our religious leaders, they don't help us want to serve Jesus. They actually tear at the fabric of Christianity and what it stands for. And the book would tell us that that comes from Satan. Satan is behind that. But the good news is that Satan has no power that Jesus hasn't allowed him to have. And someday he's going to lock him up and we won't have to worry about him anymore. Now, this is important on two levels. One, Satan is using death to do his work. I mean, people are being killed for being Christians. They don't worship the emperor, killed. Or sometimes they're just thrown into the lion's den because they're Christians. You know, like the Colosseum? Like, you know that. Like the Christians, just for following Jesus, just for being people that say, I believe that Jesus died and rose again, like the people we baptized today, just for that, they're getting thrown into a ring. And people are watching them and cheering as they fight lions and die. 
So it's important to know that that Jesus is going to lock up Satan and someday that will no longer take place. And in fact, after this week, what we're going to talk about for the next four or five weeks is Jesus' ultimate victory. We're going to do a series called All Things New. And in that series, we're going to talk about is how someday Jesus will make all things new and the sorrow and the suffering and the pain and the hurt and the death that we all hate and fear is going to be gone. But just for today parenthetically almost to everything else that I want to say, I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus is going to beat Satan. Because, because we all feel the pressure of Satan. I know we don't like spiritual stuff like that in, in, uh, in our kind of American culture today. And even in American Christianity, it's funny, I, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. Or, or somebody was talking about this in my presence, I should say. Uh, but American Christians kind of ebb and flow on how much we talk about uh, things like angels and demons. Like it kind of comes and then it kind of goes. And, uh, and, and right now we're in a point in American Christianity where we don't, we don't talk about that stuff very much. But we all feel it. We say it like this, like, I have my demons, Some people are more acutely aware of their demons than other people, but we see them in our struggles, we see them in our addictions, we see them in our bad relationships sometimes, we see them all around us. And and the book of Revelation pauses to let you know that this guy named Jesus is going to win, and if you're on his side, then someday you will win too, you will be victorious over these demons that you struggle with sometimes every single day that's where my parenthetical kind of ends and now i want to read to you revelation 24 chapter 20 verse 4 i think it's so important listen to this i saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about jesus and because of the word of god They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned reigned with Christ a thousand years. I mentioned this just briefly before, but but Revelation is this this vision. And so there's this, this guy named John who I've alluded to, and he's praying one day. On the Lord's Day, he's praying on a Sunday morning, and he's uh, actually imprisoned on an island called Patmos, and he's out there, and he's praying, and all of a sudden, God shows up, and he does this, this crazy vision. And what we read in the book of Revelation is actually this incredibly crazy vision. And here in this part of the vision, think about this, he sees people who have been beheaded because of their testimony and the word of God, I do not want to know how he knew they were beheaded. Like how he came to that conclusion, right? It's kind of a gruesome scene. But he sees these people who have been beheaded. Now listen, in the book of Revelation, all Christians are described as people who will go through persecution and suffering and even martyrdom. And so it doesn't seem that this is just a special group of people. He's describing all Christians, some of which were literally who were literally killed for their faith. That's what he is describing here. But the imagery is very, very intense. He sees the people who have been beheaded. And why have they been beheaded? For their testimony. 
You just heard a part of, of Chris and Elijah's testimonies, right? You heard some of the story of what Jesus has done and is doing in their lives. How giving themselves to Jesus actually is making a difference. Why they felt the need to come to Jesus. Why they believe in Jesus. All of those things, that's part of their testimony. And, and here in John's vision, what he sees is this group that represents at least first century Christians who if they would have done something like this, who did do something like this, and they lost their lives because of it. And if the people that, that were killed, they, if they didn't, or if the people that did this in the first century, if they didn't lose their lives, they were at least threatened. They, were, they could lose their lives for it. And on top of that, they, they could see and they did see the people that they love lose their lives for the testimony of Jesus. Is it worth it? <laughs> I mean, was it worth it for them? You're thinking like, I know Jesus wants me to get baptized. But if I do, I'm going to get thrown into a lion's den. Is that worth it? Should I do that? And this is what he says about them. He says they came to life. a big deal right like we hate death we don't like to think about it we don't like to talk about it and here is this gruesome picture however he knew they were beheaded they were beheaded and they were beheaded for their testimony about jesus for being christians and living as christians and talking as christians and all of those things they were killed for it or at least they ran the threat of being killed for it and he looks at him he says they came back to life and now listen to Revelation 25 and 6 because he, he expounds on this. He says, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. This verse, you see, it juxtaposes, it, it puts up against each other two ideas. The first resurrection and the second death. And, and what people want to do, trust me, I read, what people want to do is they want to start talking about, you know, the nitty gritty of these verses and let's argue about it. Let's just immediately argue. I hate that Christians always want to argue about the Bible, but very seldom want to talk about how it can change their lives but but that's what people want to do here but but the big idea is simple there's two choices a first resurrection or a second death that's it a first resurrection or a second death so what is the second death well in just a little bit in the book of revelation it's described as eternal destruction uh, it's described as a lake of fire hell and I hate to talk about it on Easter, but that is one of the choices that John lays forth as he sees this vision from God. It's a reality of Scripture. The second death, eternal death, is the way that it's described in Scripture. Eternal death that is suffering and mourning and sorrow and pain. It's hell. And so on the one hand, you have second death. 
Here's the reality. We all, you, we all, we're all going to die. Our bodies are going to stop working. It's going to happen. You barely feel that. If you're 20 years old, you feel bulletproof and invincible. At 40, you start to feel a little bit of it. And I, I think from talking to other people that at 80, you really feel a lot of it. You know that this body is going to stop working and you, you know this, you're going to die. And it could be eternal. Eternal death. But there's another option and it's the first resurrection. Now this too is debated, and I'm not going to get into it, Easter, but, but here's what my professor who taught me about the book of Revelation said. The first resurrection is the only resurrection John knows, and the second death is the only death that matters. What Dr. Kuykendall is saying is simply this. There's two options presented. Second death, eternal death, eternal suffering, or new life after you breathe your last breath in this one. That's it. John puts it out there and says, you have two choices, two destinies. Uh, the first is eternal death. The second is eternal life. His words, the first is second death. The other choice is the first resurrection. We all will die, but the truth is that some of us will live again. And we will live in a place that is not full of the sorrow and the mourning and the pain and the suffering, but where all things are new. We will live in an eternal state of perfection and joy and happiness and goodness and fullness and so many other things. But what we're here to talk about today is actually why the first resurrection is possible. And that's because Jesus came back from the dead. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you see what this author, Paul, is saying? He's saying to Christians, he's saying, hey, Christians, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, then you're still stuck in your sin. And I hate to tell you that you've believed a lie and your destiny, like the rest of the world, is second death. And you've chosen wrong because it sure wasn't worth it to die earlier. It sure wasn't worth it to commit to following Jesus in this life if this is the only life. If Jesus didn't get out of the grave, man, you should be pitied for giving your life to him. But on the flip side of that, if Jesus did die and rise again, then it is absolutely worth it for us to commit to him because we can look forward to the first resurrection. Let me back up a little bit. Why do we die? You say, like, well, our bodies stop working and all of those things. But the Bible gives us a deeper answer to one of life's biggest questions. I mean, the question is this. We all ask it. We all answer in our own ways. It's called a worldview. 
Everybody has one. You ask how we got here, and then you ask this other question, why is everything so messed up? Why does death and sorrow and suffering exist? Why are people mean? Why is there war and famine and earthquakes? Why does all this happen? We all ask it and we all answer it in our own ways. The Bible gives, I think, the best answer. It says that this thing called sin entered into the world. It entered in through two people named Adam and Eve, but it's persisted in all of us because we all sin. Now, what is sin? Sin is simply not doing what God wants you to do. It's doing what is not in line with his character and nature. God doesn't give us rules because he's like, hey, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. He gives us rules because they're not in line with his character and nature, and thus they are not good for us to not follow his rules. And so God gave us these things, but we just said no. We listened to the protagonist in the book of Revelation, Satan. And we said, we'll go your way. We'll do your thing. We all know that. We all know we've done things that we ought not do. And maybe we can't explain why. Maybe you never pointed to God and say, I know I shouldn't have done that because, you know, God. But you know that you shouldn't have done it. You have regrets. You have shame over the things that you've done in your life. We all do. Me too. That is called sin. That's what does it. And so Jesus, this is the story of Scripture. This is the story I tell every week here at church. It's called the gospel. We call it the gospel. It's at the center of everything we do as a church and everything we do as Christians. It's this. God looked down. He saw us in our sin. And he looked and he said, wow, they are all destined for the second death. And God could have, we don't think about this, but God could have, he could have said, well, that's fine, I don't care. But instead, out of his incredible grace and mercy, he came down here in the person of Jesus, who was God in human form. Jesus lived sinlessly, perfectly. He never did the things that we regret. And at the end of that life, he was murdered, to use the word that was used earlier. He was unjustly tried. He was unjustly tortured. He was mocked he was beaten and then he was unjustly killed but he didn't just die a bad physical death he, he actually on that cross paid the penalty for our sins he suffered in many ways the second death he suffered hell john three sixteen says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life do you see the two choices put up there again for us you can either perish or you can have everlasting life now lots of people who believe have died right lots of people who are christians have died every christian that, that's lived that isn't living today they died right they died but they did not perish because they experienced the first resurrection they have eternal life but here's the sad reality. The story ends there. All was still lost. Time will win. It was still undefeated, to quote Rocky. It was still undefeated. But what happens next, what happens next is what throws the knockout punch at time and death for all who will believe. No people are more acutely aware, I don't think, in history of the sadness of death than Jesus' friends and followers when he walked on the earth. 
I mean, they're hanging out with this guy who, who they believe is going to make everything right and good. They think he's going to overthrow the Roman government and start a, a Jewish-Israelite revolution and everything's going to be good. And they're like, this is the guy we've hoped for, for for hundreds and thousands of years. This is the guy we've longed for. He's here. He's like arrived. And then one night, Jesus is out in a garden with them and he's arrested and then all the things that I described and then he's dead. They're not like, sweet, my sins are forgiven. They're like, oh, maybe life is absolutely hopeless. Maybe there really is nothing to live for. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe there is no good. But then, in John 20, verses 1 through 2, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. And then in John 11, 20, 11 through 16, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you were looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And then John 20, 19 through 20, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his sides and hand. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Do you know who was in that room? The disciples, a guy named John. A guy named John who wrote this book called Revelation from an island called Patmos, think Alcatraz. He had lived through a lot. He had lived through, history tells us, being boiled, uh, but he survived it. That's when they threw him out on this island. Uh, but on top of that, something that I don't think we think about as much, John had lived through the death of all of his closest friends. And most of them died because they thought it was worth it to serve Jesus. And so he writes this book. And he says, hey, there's two choices here. There's two choices. You can either, you can either have second death or you can have first resurrection. You can either perish or you can have eternal life. That's how he said it in the other book he wrote called John. He says in 1 John 1, 1 through 2, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched that we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you eternal life. Jesus, John was a witness of Jesus' resurrection. What he wanted you to know is this. That if you are not a Christian, you face the prospect of second death, of eternal destruction and damnation. But if you will come to believe that Jesus died for your sins and came back to life, then you don't have to worry about second death anymore because someday when you breathe your last breath on this earth, you will breathe your first breath 
in heaven. That's what I'm here to tell you today. That's why I'm up here. I want you to become a Christian if you're not. I was, I mentioned in the emergency room the other day, and it is, um, to be a little bit funny, I've now described it as like being at DEQ with sick people. It's really an awful place. I hadn't been to the emergency room in 20 years, but you got Victor, this uh, probably homeless man just there to try to get warm. Got this guy named Daniel slumped over to his feet. I don't know what's wrong with him. Got this other guy named Connor who he can't stay awake for more than 30 seconds when they talk to him. Got a lady having a panic attack. That's my diagnosis. Another lady who is apparently there all the time. Guy who has kidney stone surgery regularly at the ER. A kid with a black eye whose dad seemed less than pleasant to me. And people with children, babies crying. And I wish I could look at them and go, it's all going to be okay. Everything's going to get better. don't know the only thing that I could tell them is the thing that I want to tell you now it might not get better here on this earth but if you give your life to Jesus you'll live a much better life in eternity my question for you is will you experience eternal life or second death And what I want you to know is simply this. Here's what you have to do. Chris did it. Elijah did it. So many in this room, but maybe you haven't. You need to recognize that you're a sinner. That's what the Bible tells us. Recognize you're a sinner. You know that. I believe you know that. You might try to deny it. You try to pretend it doesn't exist, but you have shame and regret. We all do. You believe that Jesus is the Savior, that he died on a cross and he came back to life. And then you give your life to him because he's worth it. And if you'll do that, then 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57 will prove true. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? I only do this about once a year, but I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to ask that if today you recognize that you're a sinner, you believe that Jesus died for you and you want to commit your life to him, I'm going to ask that right now, I know it can be a little scary, nobody's looking, but even if they are, it's worth it. Um, I'm going to ask that if, if you fall into that category and this is your moment, will you please just put your hand up in the air? Give you another second. I know it can be scary. I see the hands. I see the hands. All right. You can put them down. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these hands that have gone up this morning. Uh, the greatest decision that I ever made was to commit my life to you, Lord. I, I've been really emotional this Easter, thinking about how the only reason that I have any hope or any joy or any peace any goodness, Lord, is that I encountered a resurrected Savior. You, I encountered you. And I pray that you would do that for people today, Lord. 
I ask God that you would help every person here to believe that you died, but you came back to life so that they might have, God, eternal life and not eternal destruction, destruction, so that they might experience the first resurrection and not the second death. I pray that those of us who have made that commitment maybe a long time ago, that we would be uh, renewed in our excitement about what your resurrection did for us. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.